The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Hi, I'm Janine, and this is Get the Funk Out. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This week's special guest is June Millington. That name sounds familiar. She formed the band Fanny back in the 70s. I want to tell you a little bit about her. June and her sister Jean actually have been playing music since they were children strumming ukuleles in the Philippines. And when they moved to the U.S. in the 60s, they turned in their acoustic guitars for electric, and they formed this very successful girls band with it eventually became fanny and one of the first this was one of the first female rock bands to be signed to a major label fanny soon began recording and touring worldwide with bands like chicago and dr john and then it was while they were recording in major studios with engineers like apple's jeff emmerich that millington began to study the art of sound recording and producing after fanny june became involved in the woman's music movement. When she was asked to play and tour behind Chris Williamson's The Changer and The Changed, this would become the defining album of that genre. Women's music eventually evolved into an independent feminist music network that included production companies, venues, festivals, record labels, and distribution networks. It was in that genre that Millington began to produce albums for, among others, Williamson, singer-songwriter Holly Near and jazz pianist and composer Mary Watkins. June and Jean continued to record and perform throughout the 80s and 90s, with Jean taking time off to raise her two children, and June, together with her, her partner, Anne Hackler, founding the Institute for the Musical Arts, IMA. The Institute is a teaching, performing, and recording facility dedicated to supporting women and girls in music and music-related business. Millington is the artistic director of IMA, which, as part of its mission, runs summer rock programs for girls and young women. June and Jean's latest CD, entitled Play It Like a Girl, is for the girls. Tell your girls a story, I won't tell you a lie. Anything you want, you can do it just fine. Come on!
Pleasure to welcome to this week's show, June Millington. Hi, June. Hi. Thanks so much for calling in. And uh, there's so much I want to talk about because you really, you know, you started as pa- basically paving the way for other women musicians. Yeah, that that is right. Tell me about. I read on uh, on I think it was Taylor Guitars uh, when you were very little. You had a very interesting thing happen at school. Could you tell me that story about when you first? Yeah. You know, um. Well, I'm Philippine American. My dad was from Vermont, Millingtons from Burlington, Vermont, and oh, yeah. my mother's Filipina. And they met after the war in Manila, and we grew up in Manila. Um, went to uh, the American school from the first to uh, sixth grade, and then the seventh grade, which was the year before we came to the U.S., um, we <laughs> we had to go to this Philippine convent. Uh, all my mother's really? family had gone there. Yeah, he had to wear the you know the uniforms and go to uh, you know like a short mass every day. It was oh. pretty you know was Intense. pretty austere. <laughs> yes, and um, the one of the very last days of school, and you know the, the the nuns were very strict. Mother Milagros in particular, and she had us at the end of the day, and she you know they always sat up on a podium at the front of the room. <laughs> I mean, was. Very Catholic, Spanish Ooh. Catholic, you know. Okay. Yeah. And um, I heard this sound, and I literally got up off my chair and left the room, and she didn't say a word. It was like it was like <laughs> I was in a dream. Um, really? Uh, yeah, it's, it's really bizarre because I walked down the hall, which actually was an open-air veranda on the second floor, about two classrooms down, and mm-hmm. I looked to, into where that sound was coming from, and there was a young girl sitting there, playing a guitar and i'd never seen her before um i just stood there transfixed and mm-hmm. i remember exactly what i was thinking and i tell this to everybody because it's it? emblazoned why didn't anybody tell me really why didn't anybody tell me i mean i knew that was my magic carpet ride right there Look i just knew that. it was the ticket to everything and it that proved to be true because when we moved to the united states uh, sacramento california just a few months later, mm-hmm. my mom, I, I mean, I raved about that. And by the way, I never saw that girl again. And I almost That's wondered odd. if she was an angel. Maybe. Yeah, who just <laughs> showed me, you know. Yes. Yeah, they were. that was their way of telling me, yeah. that, you know, this is it. Um, my mom had gotten me a small mother of pearl inlay guitar from the southern Philippines, handmade oh. for my 13th birthday. Oh, and nice. we left the month after or two months later. Two months later, we were in Sacramento, California, which was actually a really great hotbed of music. Hoot Nanny was popular at the time, so we got introduced to uh, folk songs. And Gene and I already were singing with the radio with uh, ukuleles, okay. which is great ear training. Oh. And, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the ukulele is four strings of how the guitar, what yes. the guitar has. 
Um, and so we started to do folk music, and, and but right away we could hear on the radio um, the beginning of Motown. I mean, there was a lot of funk, too. Uh, mm-hmm. Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow had been a hit the year before. And we um, we were not only smitten, because we were outsiders, you yes. know, we weren't with the times, and we were half, you know, Philippine, half American, which right. at the time was highly unusual um, to run into. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just was... Um, it was something that, uh, you know, really went into our souls and informed us. And I started to not only play a lot, but to study American music as it was being invented from 61 on. And that okay. informed our starting a band, uh, an electric band a few years later with uh, a, a few other girls, and mm-hmm. learning how to play what was on the radio, which was, I mean, I thought it was going to be like that, you know, forever. Sure. You know, that type yeah. of music that was being invented when we first started our band, which had been late 64, 65. Mm-hmm. You know, from then on, when you're learning that in real time and playing that, uh, like Air Force bases and, you know, frat parties, yeah, yeah. high school dances, there's there was no better way to learn. It was really incredible. So we were lucky, but in part, it was because of our outsider status that really gave us that sort of glimpse into music and how we wanted to eat it. We wanted yeah, to swallow yeah. it. We wanted to become American. And what better way to do that and swallow than imbibe yeah. the music? Yes, yes. <laughs> now, how old were you both at that time? When we arrived here, I was 13 and Jean was 12. So the two of you were playing ukuleles and just uh-huh. absorbing all this music. Mm-hmm. Incredible. I mean, you know, something like Tell Laura I Love Her is really easy to play on, on ukulele. Do you know, you know that song? I don't. Yeah, tell Laura I love her. There was a mm-hmm. there was a slew there I was do. a slew of songs that were about tragic death. Mm-hmm. You know, like this guy threw himself in front of a train or something like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, Laura. But that was fantastic for uh, playing on ukulele, as was um, Yellow Bird by oh, yeah. Harry Belafonte. Yeah. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley, Traveling Man, Ricky Nelson. Fantastic stuff. Um, Paper Roses, Anita Bryant. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's really great ear training. You know, that's just a few chords, but they were hits. So yes. we kind of learned how you get around, uh, you know, with that Calendar Girl by Neil Sadaka. Right, right, right. right. Were you so. both singing, by the way? Were you just mm-hmm. singing and playing? And yeah, I mean, the Filipinos are very, very musical, so that was easy for us. That's great. No problem. Yeah. What did your mom think of all this? Oh, she loved it. She oh, that's was delighted. Good. Oh, how nice. Yeah, and she could tell us that, um, I mean, she could tell that it made us happy. So, yeah. you know, uh, she was that type of mom who, if you're, if her child was happy, she was happy. Sure. No, I get Kind of that. a thing. And she, can, she could tell. That, I mean, we got good grades at school, but there we, we were rocking it at night, you know. So <laughs> nice. it was very interesting. In fact, uh, you know, I'm writing an autobiography now. In fact, IMA is going to put it out in, in about a month or two. Oh, and Cool. Yeah, and I yeah, and I and I say that you know if there was a a movie that we were to make up that had like a certain time kind of a title, it would be good be Good Girls by Day, Bad Girls by Night, but tongue in cheek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we weren't bad. I mean, we were bad in the sense that we played bad. You know, we were (laughs) starting to be badass as we displayed later on when we were in Fanny. Yeah, Fanny was badass. They sure was. Yes. Yeah. And so how did things transition? Here you were, you know, 12, 13. You just continued mm-hmm. on with these bands, and then how did you find your Well, bandmates? we didn't start with a band right away. I, um, we played with two other... Actually, we played our acoustic guitars, and two other girls from uh, junior high sang with us. 
And we did a song called, my second song that I ever wrote called Miss Wildflower 62, mm-hmm. which tells you how I felt, um, at mm-hmm. the junior high talent show, variety show, yearly show. And people started to talk to us in the hall, and we realized, oh, my God, this is really it. You know, I mean, yeah. they like us. Yeah. <laughs> so it transitioned from that in 62 into, by late 64, early 65, switching to electric guitars. And that's where my mom, you know, figures in the story again in a really big way because my dad didn't want to sign for instruments. Oh. I mean, first we were using our boyfriend's gear, you know. We, yeah. We were able to sing between their sets, you know, four girls with acoustic guitars, and then, then we started piddling around on their instruments. And then we all auditioned for the same gig. By this time, uh, we had a girl drummer from another high school who heard about us, and she, mm-hmm. you know, we started a group, and we got the gig. And Look they, I mean, they shut down. We could not play their instruments anymore, so we needed to get our own gear. And right. My dad didn't want to sign for it. My mom went with me and Jean to a music store and signed for about five hundred dollars worth of gear, which was, you know, mid sixties was a lot of money. Yeah, way to go to mom, though. I mean, totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. And you know, when we we run rock and roll girls camps here at IMA and. I always defer to the moms because I know darn well that a young girl, if mm-hmm. she has her mom's blessing yes. and her support, it's it's going to happen. Right. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. That's what it takes, you know. It really does. You told a funny story how you actually had a neighbor who had a guitar and he would let you touch the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is right before we moved here. Yeah. It was in Manila and I was pining for guitar and I'm sure I... I you know, talked about it every day. That's right. why my mom surprised me with, with that baby guitar. But, um, yeah, and I would, you know, there was a gate with, uh, you know, metal. It was a, a metal wrought gate, so you yeah. could look through the slats. And I, I would literally stand there like I was look, looking through jail, you know, yeah. the, the bars <laughs> of the jail. Because I felt like I was in jail because I, I couldn't touch a guitar. And finally, I mean, every day I would walk to that gate and just, stare at him and of course he was preening on the front steps sure, you know of showing off that he could play guitar right. and finally he opened the gate and he said okay co- come on in and he let me touch his guitar oh is that funny he's probably thinking maybe she likes me you're like no i like <laughs> yeah, your guitar I dude <laughs> you know my mind was not on that wavelength so right. i wouldn't have known I exactly known. exactly uh-huh. so fanny came about tell me about that well we started our first uh, band like i said in um uh actually was for me, it was high school. Jean was still in junior high. And there were a succession of girls who came in and out, um, mm-hmm. mostly because it was really hard for a girl to stay playing electric, you know, drums or electric. Boyfriends and, and parents were highly against it. I mean, all of society was against it. In fact, you could say that they were against it, but also there was no frame to recognize that. As, as wait, wait one second, I lost you. There was no what? frame yeah you couldn't put the picture because uh, anywhere in your reality because there was no frame for it i mean i you know i'm at an age now where i have a lot of um uh, college students ask me ask if i can if they can interview me for their dissertation sometimes the, i'm the entire dis- dissertation <laughs> because i live through it because yes. i you know i'm actually the only woman i know who was there at the beginning of women in rock and the beginning of women's music because I played on Chris Williamson's Changer and the Change and, yeah. and you know, so on. I produced Holly Near's Fire in the Rain and I played in that genre for years. Um, so I'm the only one who's got that story that can be transmitted in real time. Yes. But there was um, so much discrimination, June, at the time. There was such a boys' club. 
Exactly, but you know, you you didn't even think of it that way. Now you can say it, and everyone knows what you're talking about. Right. But you know, there was no feminist feminist movement wasn't until the seventies. You know, there were no women's centers. There was no feminist studies. There were there was no frame. There was no frame. So um, again, I get back to these dissertations where the questions, and it's mostly women who you know who want to talk to me. the questions are cush in in like the now turns, and I have to keep telling them you don't understand. You can't ask that question because it's there was no, there you know it it has no context with 1964. Right, That's you know right. it's a whole other mindset. So when we got the compliment, and uh, hundreds of young boys said this to us, not bad for chicks. <laughs> Gee, that thanks. was, and they said that with a gleam in their eye and a smile, and they were excited, and um, that was the best they could do. Yeah. You know, and it was a high compliment. So we always just smiled and said, yeah, thanks, you know. Right. Um, now, if somebody said that to me, I'd probably have some sort of a retort, you of know. Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but back then, like I said, that was the best anybody could do. Nobody would say, oh, well, you know, that's you play really well because it's it, it could only be not bad for chicks. Yeah. When you uh, first started playing a lot as a teenager, did you have other girls approaching you like, "Hey, can you teach me?" Or I mean, or you just felt like your own in you in your own world with your sister? Well, there were no other girls to say that. Really? <laughs> See, I mean, it's there were no other girls that I knew of mm. who were even trying to play electric guitar. Look at that. Yeah, and then our our first uh, when we turned uh, electric. Uh, we had two electric rhythm guitars, and, and um, we both played rhythm really well. And then mm-hmm. Jean on bass, my sister Jean on bass, and, and a drummer. And when Kathy quit, I, I, I was, we were completely freaked out because where were we going to get another girl? But she moved down to Palo Alto from Sacramento, and her dad was a tennis teacher, and he was grooming her to be a tennis oh. star. And, of course, you know, rock and roll did not figure into that photo at all, you know, that not. picture. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, she moved out to Palo Alto, and lo and behold, she met some other girls somehow, and um, one of them was, had been in a girl band, and mm-hmm. they split up, so she told them about us, and this girl, Addie, joined the band, and she was already really good. Whoa. She'd done the great. same thing we'd done, which was just to figure it out, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. she wanted to do it. Her mom did not oppose her. Oppose her. I never heard one bad word from her mother. Perfect. And that was the band, actually, that went to L.A. and got the record deal with, uh, by by that time in 1968-69, Alice DeBure, who was in Fanny, yeah. uh, had joined the band. She was from Iowa, and by the way, I've met a lot of great uh, young women musicians, uh, or women musicians from Iowa, because their music program program is so good. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, harp players, percussionists, drummers, it's incredible. I mean, you can really tell the difference. You know, when they get that backing at school. In any event, so the four of us, Addie, who was the replacement guitar player for Kathy, who was already good, mm-hmm. uh, me, Jean, and Alice DeBure from Iowa, were, uh, were the girls who went down and got the record deal, and then Addie left, and we got the keyboard player, Nikki, who was already in L.A., mm-hmm. although she was from the East Coast, and that became the band Fanny. And I say in the book, you know, it was almost as if by the time Nikki came in, we kind of had our girl fun. Yeah. You know, we'd been playing since, let's say, gigs from early 65. Now it was 69, okay. you know? Yeah. So 
it, it was those years of we were girlfriends and we were traipsing around. We got our own cars. Yeah. You know, we bought a PA. We know how to run everything. We booked our own gigs. There's a lot of fun. Then when Nikki got in the band, it was business. You know, was we were with Reprise Records. Richard Perry was our producer. And it was on another level, which it had to be. I mean, you yes. could not go on The Tonight Show and the very first Sonny and Cher show and record at Apple Studios, you know, the Beatles studio, and tour with, you know, Jethro Tull in Chicago if you didn't have that patent of, of professionalism. Yeah. Um, so our, our sort of like, you know, our little girl fun days were gone, and, and now it was fun on, on a different level. What was it like being on the Sunny and Cher show and the Tonight Show and all that? Well, Tonight Show, we never met him. I think he was too blown away by the song that we did, which was um, Young and Dumb. And that was originally sung by Tina Turner. was the B-side of an Ike and Tina Turner oh. record that we discovered. Uh-huh. And we just tore that one up. I mean, you should check that out. I sometime. will. <laughs> Young and Dumb. Um, so we did that song, and he cut right to a commercial. I think he couldn't take it. Sunny and Cher, however... <laughs> um, we were backstage, and by the way, Phyllis Diller was on, on that, that show, too. And um, it was in L.A., and it was down the street from, you know, from where we live, so it was comfortable for us to do. We weren't traveling or anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we were backstage getting ready, you know, putting on our makeup, and Sonny came to the room, and he said, um, I, I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, if, if you could take five minutes to come down to our dressing room, because Cher would really like to meet you. And That's that was, nice. like, amazing. Yeah. They were so nice to us and the fact that Cher, you know, sent Sunny to get us. I right. mean, she was having her hair and makeup, you know, her yeah. hair was in curlers. So, but she wanted to meet the girls and, and nice. I'll never forget that. You know, that that little bit of a hand extended extended from a woman who was a star. Right. Was a big deal. Sure a big was. deal. I will never forget that. And I'll yeah. tell anybody I'll shout that from a rooftop. Cher was great to oh, us I young love that. young women. Yeah. Yeah. And how long was Fanny together? Well, let's see. We changed our name to Fanny in 69, and I left in 73. Uh, that mm-hmm. was a, a hard slog of four years, a lot of work. And, again, it's all in the... I mean, the reason I wrote my biography is to tell it as it really was, because a lot of people don't un- understand what the pressures were and what it was like. I mean, we've covered just a little bit of it. But, right. you know, I mean, every interview that we did... I got the question, what does it feel like to be a girl guitar player? And I'll tell you, that was much worse than Not Bad for Chicks. Yeah. Because it told me so much. Right. You know, the ignorance was embedded, number yes. one. And number two, I wanted to talk about much more than that. You of know, course. I was a, a, a young, smart woman who was learning as fast as I could. I was meeting all these great guy guitar players Mm-hmm. who when you're at the top of your game, you're not so defensive. So they, they taught me a lot and became great friends, you That's know. Cool. That's but, cool. yeah, and I didn't get, you know, I didn't get asked the questions that would actually have, you know, addressed my own intelligence and intellect and yeah. work ethic. <laughs> Here's June Millington with All the Children. There's all the airplanes flying hard against the sky They're the engines they were working through the night Vows will fill the storm Not a thing to eat at home All the children cry Through the wheat fields they were running in their dreams And the horses Straining against the rains Not a hint of coming home 
But when hunger hits in the morning, all the children cry. You're listening to Get the Funk Out on KUCI 88.9 FM, and we're back with June Millington. Well, tell me, what other things do you like to do? I mean, obviously music is a huge part of your life, but mm. what are some things that people might be surprised to know about you? Uh, you know, it's not too much more than that and reading. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is, is I'm kind of a closet intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I was so shy when I was little, you know, again, being half Philippine mm-hmm. and half American was very difficult and unseen and unrecognized. So books became my very best friends, right. you know, um, yeah. other than my sister, who we did everything together. Um, I'm actually the eldest of seven, but we were the first two, so... You know, I, I, I have um, a very active mind, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I think that the book is going to surprise people because, well, let's just put it this way. Uh, I think that there's kind of a knee-jerk reaction that, oh, you're a rock and roller, you can't possibly be a good writer or have oh, that good of a mind, you know, like, Why? you're probably <laughs> just one of those chicks who just did a lot of drugs and, you know, had a lot of sex, and, you know, it just was a passing fancy. Yeah. Nothing. No could be further from the truth yeah yeah so that might be surprising to people and i think that will be surprising when people uh, read the autobiography when does the uh, when does the book come out well we're in the midst of the book design now Mm -hmm. um uh, the hardest part now that it's written is just we've got so many thousands of fantastic photos that we've found in our personal collections and friends who took took photos so choosing the best is is has actually proven to be an incredible challenge. But that's only because, you know, we're, we have such a, a rich table to choose from. You know, I have to tell you, uh, this is aside from your book, I, uh, the theme of the show, which is Get the Funk Out, mm-hmm. I, I can imagine that music has helped you throughout your life 
a deal with funks and ups and downs, and it's yeah. probably been very meditative. Oh, yes, absolutely. And it's interesting because, you know, I, I kind of got known as a lead guitar player, mm-hmm. but I never wanted to do, to do that because it's a really exposed position. You know, lead yes. guitar, you're, you're kind of out there. Yeah, you are. And um, at the time when I was pushed into that position because Addie quit the band, and Gene and Alice turned to me and said, well, while we're looking for someone else, you got to play lead. I mean, that's, that's you know, that's your gig. It's and hard, um, it, Oh, it scared, yeah. scared the heck out of me. It, it literally did. I was terrified. But then I decided to get down to work. I mean, that's it. I have a work ethic. You know, my dad's a Yankee. And <laughs> the Philippine, you know, the convent. Yeah. You learned how to study. You learned how to yeah. learn. Um, I had that under my belt, and that's a, an incredible advantage. Um, in any event... You know, lead guitar for a girl is really tough, and I'll tell you what was even tougher for me. I was the first one who was recognized really? as a lead guitar player. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, you know, Bertha was incredible, but they, they didn't get as well-known as us. Yes. Um, Goldie and the Gingerbreads didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, Carol McDonald, you know, they didn't really do a whole album, and then they broke up, and they became ISIS, and that was a great right. group. I You know, I actually played on one of their records later on. But I was the first one who was really known for playing. I mean, um, Felicia Collins, who plays uh, guitar on the uh, Letterman show. Yes. Um, you've seen her, I'm so sure. Right. Where she told me she was in New York. She was about five or six. She was standing in front of the TV, and Fanny came on, and she literally pointed to the TV and said to her mother, I want to do that. <gasps> really? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, that's... <laughs> Very that, it, it, and it was tiring for me, you know. It just, I, I, I didn't feel seen in the way that I wanted to be seen, which is I'm growing. Right. You know, right. I felt like I would be trapped, and I, I knew I would be trapped, in fact, and that I would basically die, and that's my body took care of business and, and basically fell apart. I mean, we were on the road all the time. Mm, that's uh, we so didn't exhausting. have any time off. I didn't have a home life, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to yeah. figure out who I am, my sexuality, yeah. everything. Yeah. And I, I fell apart. And part of it was the pressure of being point. I was yeah. point for yeah. all the girls. I was point for, for you know, Joan Jett and everybody. <laughs> it was tough, you know. Yeah. It's like, it was, it's not like being a war. It is a war. Yes, it is. You know, it is. War against women and girls was um, even more, I, I think, even more intense than, I mean, it is kind of hard to, to make comparisons. But let's put it this way. To me, it crushed me. Be, being the first one, you yeah. know, I just yeah. couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. And the reason why I couldn't do, do it anymore is because I wanted to grow up. I wanted to yeah. learn how to become a person. Yeah. But, you know, you, you, you were to be encapsulated in this, you know, how does it feel like to be a girl guitar player? Go ahead and be good, but, you know, just yeah. do that. And that's, it's one-dimensional. And right. I, I couldn't do it. Yeah, because your days must have just been filled with hours and hours of pressure and practice and getting it right. Yeah, and I could never have an off night. Never. Oh, man. Never. There could never be a time when I, when I or we weren't really, really good, mm-hmm. you know. So, and most of the time we were sharing the stage with a band or, you know, maybe even two if it were a festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to be on top of our game all the time, which we were. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like it was a salt mine. Yeah. Um, because we loved what we were doing. We put ourselves in that position. We wanted to get a record deal and do the music and prove that girls 
actually could play that guy. That mm-hmm. was the only ramp we could walk down at the time. You exactly. Know? exactly. Now women pretty much have, you know, at least the idea that they can prove themselves creatively. Everyone's writing, you know, producing, blah, blah. Yes. But at the time, the only, well, once you got the frame that girls were, were playing, then it was, oh, they're playing like guys. That's oh, the best please. you could do, you know. <laughs> And um, a lot of times we were actually better than the guy bands that we played with because we were had had been doing it for so long already, you know, yeah. from the from '65 on. Um, I mean, I remember somebody wrote into Facebook mm-hmm. uh, some comments about us, and, and a couple of guys were talking and saying, "Oh yeah, remember that gig where they they opened for the James Gang in Denver and they blew them off the stage, and those guys didn't even <laughs> want to go on." Oh, that's well, that's Joe Walsh. Hello, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's wild mm, i mean i don't remember that i i never thought of it that way oh we yeah. blew them out of the water yeah. never in fact what i would always do is i during the sound check or maybe backstage i'd introduce myself to the guitar player and see if i could learn a thing or two yeah and as i said the better they were the much more willing they were to um show really me. that's uh-huh. nice it is really nice. It is really nice. And that is across the board. I can't think of one great guitar player who looked down his nose at me. They were thrilled. That's oh, my God. You awesome. have this chick who actually knows what the neck is, you know, yeah, how, yeah, yeah. how to get around on the fretboard. And she's asking about, you know, how do you do this, that, or how did you get that tone? Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> You can only imagine what else went through their minds. Exactly. But, you know. No kidding. Now that I've showed you how to play, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> but they're all really nice. I mean, nobody was ever awful to me, which is, you know, it really says a lot about when you're devoted to something, there's something about the purity of it, even if it's lead guitar playing. Right. There's a purity to it. There's a monasticism to getting good. Yeah. You know, at anything you do. I mean, I was at one point I thought I'd be a photographer or a surgeon. Mm-hmm. Any of that stuff, I would have devoted myself, um, you know, to any anything that any profession that I chose. It just happened to be I was shoved into the lead guitar <laughs> <laughs> kicking and screaming. No, no, no! I don't want anyone to hear me. Oh, I just want to be back here, you know, helping to write songs and play rhythm guitar and shake my head, hair. Right, you right, know, exactly. <laughs> now that was easy to do after a few years, but that lead guitar thing was. Really a strain. What about? I mean, I still do it. It's fun, but you know. But now you don't feel the pressure that you did then. I don't. I really don't care what yeah. anybody thinks of me. I don't play that many notes, but my tone is really good, and go. I usually play the right notes, and that's that's, that's the musicality yeah. of it. You know. Is it funny with age? Like we we reach the, you know the thirties, and we feel this way in the forties, and what we reach your sixties, and you go, who cares? That's exactly <laughs> right, and what a relief. Yeah. What is. a relief, and you know. There's another part of it, and that's I was always looking to the outside to get people's approval or to hear that I was good or any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now I've just put in so much time that I can give myself that respect. That's nice. And that makes a huge difference, and it's one of the reasons why I was able to write the book, you know, because I'm not looking to stretch the truth, to, you know, elabor- elaborate too much, um, to embroider what actually happened. Yes. You know, like we want, you know, we go into the hotel at Liverpool and there's a note from David Boeing saying, join us upstairs in the penthouse. We're having a party. Well, I want to meet you. Well, I mean, I can't embroider that too much. Yes. You know, I could, <laughs> but, and there was other stuff that happened, but, yeah. you know, it's like it, that's, that's a routine kind of thing that happened to us all the time. Oh, I, I bet. Once we hit the road, you know? Yeah. And tell me about the book. It's called Play It Like a Girl? Play no, like it's a girl? called Land of a Thousand Bridges. 
Oh, why did I think it was Play Like a Girl? Because Play Like a Girl is the last CD that Gene and I did. Ah, yes, that's Mm -hmm. right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So the book, uh, you collaborated with your sister a lot on this, or is it mostly Uh, you? It's it's my narrative, and it's my writing. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that I did try to talk to everybody um, who was either in the band, in our highways and byways, or even peripherally attached to the band, like... Maybe somebody who was a roadie when, in 1967 or tried to manage us, uh, manage us or any of that kind of stuff. So it's been really interesting to find out really what went on, because a lot of it I didn't remember. Yeah. So it's a collective remembering, but it's my narrative. I love it. Mm-hmm. I, I can't wait to read the book. Yeah, you will love it. And, you know, Land of a Thousand Bridges is, is a riff off of Land of a Thousand Dances. Okay. Remember that? Yes. Wilson Pickett? Nah, yes. nah, 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 nah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did that song uh, hundreds of times. I mean, unbelievable. And are you still playing with your sister a lot? I can't say a lot, but yes, we do play. And when the book comes out, we're planning on uh, doing gigs, either the two of us, or whether it's fun on drums, or okay. uh, any number of uh, variations that, that we can call on. It's funny because, you know, Gene and I play with each other in a way that I don't play with other people. There's just something, you know, when you start with ukuleles yeah. in the Philippines yes. and continue through the, through the journey, there's just a certain uh, communication, a way of playing that only happens w- when the two of us play together. You're really blessed that you have each other and you're yeah. just so connected. Yeah, there's no way we could have, there's no way we could have done it without having been together and been sisters. Mm-hmm. We actually didn't even talk about it that much while we were doing it. Really? No, we just had to do it. So once it was decided, once once destiny appeared, <laughs> you know, in, in the form of the passion yes. and how we knew we just had to do it, we just buckled down and got to work and enjoyed the whole thing. Yeah, you know, because it was a lot of a lot of work, but it was you know it was really exciting to get up on a stage. You know, this is during the Vietnam War. Right. You know, so right. you get up on a stage and these guys want a bit of. You know, that soul music, which sure. is home. Sure. You know? So mom and apple pie was something else, you know, right, at the that's time. Right. That's at right. Time. It was very, very pleasurable. And what are you doing now in your life? Now you reside on the East Coast. Well, I'm a co-founder of the Institute for the Musical Arts, which is a nonprofit mm-hmm. foundation for women and girls in music. And um, I teach here, um, I live here, I raise money for IMA, and the whole thing gets um, handed down to future generations, which is the first time that's ever happened for women or women and girls in music. Fantastic. For all my archives, I mean, I archive everything. We have two recording studios here, by the way. It's on mm. 25 acres outside of Northampton. Beautiful. I mean, think Smith College, so- 20 minutes from Smith College, and now you have a place out in the country with a how 1816 estate really it's a house and two barns and the larger barn has been converted to a performance space and two recording studios oh i gotta see this sometime Mm. yeah Mm. at which we do our rock and roll girls camps in the summer and recording camp and the rest of the year we have different programming do you ever do rock and roll camp for a grown woman (laughs) you know we did and we dropped that to try um preteen camp for girls okay preteen rock and roll girls camp and that actually has turned out to be not only, you know, kind of incendiary yes. in, in what it can do because these girls learn something about themselves and self-confidence and so on. Right. It, you know, it also has given us, it has shown us the results of what we're actually doing, why we formed this organization. And so it's an extremely satisfying. 
We just don't have time to do an adult camp, sure, sure. which is 10 days. However, we might do weekends. I mean, enough women have asked us about that. Oh, they have? Okay. <laughs> oh, yes, all the time. I think but, you know, great. we do five camps per summer, so it starts the end of June, and it goes on to the end of August. How so fun. it's a lot of camps. It five. is. It is. Yeah. So um, anything else that you managed to squeak in or gigs or anything coming up? Well, I'm just working on the book so hard. Yeah. Um. That's pretty much all-consuming. Of course. Um, you know, I, I was in a, in, in a movie that's uh, they're finishing the editing now called Sugar that mm. was shot in New York in August, and it's got a great cast. It was a, a, written by a woman, directed by a woman. Uh, a lot of uh, the crew uh, were women. I mean, there, there were a few men. I mean, it was great. How did that come about? Um, Somebody I I I know um, a drummer told the casting director about me. And here's the thing: it's about women who are over forty. It's, mm. They were in a band when they were younger, right. and and uh, for, you know for reasons which I you know it's in the movie. For yeah. for certain reasons, um, two or three of them get back together. All right. And the 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 writer of the movie told me it's about dreams that never die. I mean, to me, it's yes. life. It's, yes. it's, I mean, her script is like, oh, yeah, I've said these lines a million times. You know, <laughs> I don't play a, a huge role, but I'm the bass player in the band, which is kind of interesting. I tried to get Jean to do it, but she didn't have time. And, you know, I said to them, well, you know, they wanted someone between 40 and 50 who could play, mm-hmm. um, either guitar or bass, and then they, they found the guitars, and, and they need a bass player. And I said, well, you know, I'm 66. I'm not between 40 and 50. Right. And they said, well, you know what? No, that's fine. Uh, you can play, and we love what you do. We know how you look. I mean, I, I, I sent in an, an audition tape. And, yes. And, you know, the fact is music is, is transcendent. That's so right. it didn't really matter, and they really needed someone who was part Asian. Oh. Or Asian or part Asian. And if you look at the pool, mm-hmm. who is an Asian woman over 40 who can play either bass or guitar and play it well? That pool is really small it in, the sure United, is. in the United States yeah. of women whom you know. Right. So I'm really happy that I was in that film, and hopefully it's going to come out in 2015 around you know, uh, the same year that my book comes out. Because I am, I, I, I mean, for obvious reasons, I'm invested in Asian or Asian-American women okay. being seen. Yes. You know, there's not that many, and we have a different story. It's not the African American, it's not the Native American, and and you know I traveled in all of these worlds. I feel so comfortable um, because I'm half Asian and half sure. white. I right. can travel <laughs> in a lot of circles and, and feel fairly comfortable. But the Asian American is still pretty much invisible, and I'm very in, invested in Asian American pride, That's in particular Philippine American pride. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, that would be one of my goals on top of everything else that that happens. And then in the long run, I'd like to take this IMA show on the road. By that, I mean this, the incredible talent that's coming in mm-hmm. to these camps, and they're forming bands, and they're performing and recording and, and whatnot. That would be great. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'd like to take that show on the road with workshops. So, you know, me and Jean or other elements of Fanny could play. The young girls who are coming could play. We could have workshops. We could have other performers who've been doing it for a long time, and um, it would be a great way to pay it forward, to push it forward, you know. And 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 the history or the history is live. It's in front of you, and I think that's really important. I think 
that Gene and I should play as much as possible in the next 10 years so that right. people can see it. Because yes. to just hear the story is not no. <laughs> is not the half of it. If you see us play, you're 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 going to get something completely different, and you can say it's intangible, right. but it has tangible results, and we can see that in these girls' lives. I mean, we've had so many of them drop by just from the holidays because, you know, either they're already in college or or they're still in camps, but they just want to come by during the year and touch base because this is their place. They yeah. inherit it. Oh, I love it. This is their jewel. Yeah, yeah. You know, so they get to touch it. That was something that Gene and I did not have, or Alice or Addie or Bree, Barry or, you know, any of the girls who played with us um, did not have that. There was no place we could call an eventual home and know that we were supported by other women and seen. You know what's amazing to me is to listen to you tell your story, and your passion for music never stopped. That's right. It never stopped. Yeah. And I've had moments, I, I picked up guitar when I was 10, and I would stop, and then I would play again, and I'd stop. Mm -hmm. But you, you just are very driven, you and your sister, and your passion just continued to grow and grow. And now look, look what you're doing for the future. Yeah, and you know what? To us, music means life. Mm -hmm. You know? It's not just the passion that's part of our lives. It, yeah. it actually means life. It means all connection. You know, I try to think of any culture in the world that, that, that does not have music. Yeah. It doesn't exist. No, no. We have to have it. Yes. Yeah. To live. That's right. <laughs> You're right. Absolutely. It's a beautiful thing. It sure is. <laughs> so tell me, if people want more information about you, where can they go? Well, certainly IMA, which is www.ima.com. Dot org, mm -hmm. And they can also go to JudaMillington.com. Okay. Yeah. And if they're in the Massachusetts area, can they come uh, give IMA a call if they want oh, to yes, check it out? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So if you go to IMA.org, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's easy to get our phone number or to write or to get in touch. And so There's also Fanny, uh, www.FannyRocks.com, one word, Fanny Rocks. And Rocks, so that's, uh, okay. Uh-huh, FannyRocks.com, which um, Alice DeBure uh, the Fanny Drummer um, basically started and maintains, and, we're, you know, we're all involved also. Cool. And when the book comes out, there's going to be a landofathousandbridges.com. All right. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, it was great having you on the show. I really love chatting with you, and I look forward to meeting you sometime. Really nice speaking. And please, come visit. I would love it's it. It's open. It's your place, too. Thank you.
like it's yours. Find the seeds, I'll pick the colors. Inside track, find the gold. Use your heat, I'll rock and roll. That was June Millington with Let Love Linger. And here's one more, When You Bottom. I've got a lot of things to do, lots of things to say, lots of things to get for which I gotta pay. Got a lot of miles to go, lots of tricks to pull, don't make me waste my time. Tuck you into bed, the never ending lies. It's an army around you. 
That's a wrap for this week's show. To find out how to be a guest on the show, just send an email to Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E at KUCI.org. If you missed any part of today's show, it'll be up on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. I'm your host, Janine, and you've been listening to Get the Funk Out.